This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest on this episode is Rachel Dreskin, the CEO of the Plant-Based Foods Association, the first and only trade association representing the nation's leading plant-based food companies. Rachel is also CEO of the Plant-Based Foods Institute, PBFA's sister nonprofit dedicated to driving transformation to a plant-based food system. In this conversation, we talk about Rachel's background and then do a deep dive into the missions, priorities, and objectives that are going to guide the Plant-Based Foods Association and the Plant-Based Foods Institute in the years to come. We talk about the values and motivations underlying the PBFA and the Institute's new strategic focus and address the state of the industry by taking a closer look at current trends and data. Rachel presents a new and bold vision for the plant-based foods industry, one that is rooted in the values that led to its creation. This new vision is not only focused on the continued growth of businesses in the plant-based food space, but is also setting its sights on bringing about a transformative shift in the food system and its participants. At a time when I've grown tired of all the rhetoric and platitudes surrounding the plant-based and alternative protein space, Rachel's perspective and vision for the industry stood out as refreshing, authentic, and absolutely necessary. This conversation reminded me why I first got excited about the potential of plant-based food as a force for change. A better food system is possible, and it will be plant-based. Listen to this episode to find out why. Rachel Dreskin, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Nil, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I am so excited about this conversation and about all the exciting new work that you're doing at PBFA. But for those that don't know much about your background, uh, I'd love to start with what got you interested in the food system to begin with. Mm, yes. So before moving to PBFA and I joined PBFA just about a year ago uh, in March of, of 2020. And before that, 
I was serving as the executive director for Compassion in World Farming in the U.S., which is an international animal protection organization. And there, my work was really focused on um, building up a program that was you know, fairly well established at the time that I left that focused on working with food companies in a really collaborative and positive way to create corporate policy change that impacted as many animals in the food system as as possible. So did a lot of work with big retailers like Walmart and uh, restaurant chains like McDonald's to, you know, for example, move from uh, eggs that came from hens that were kept in battery cages to uh, eggs that came from cage-free operations. So that incremental animal welfare reform that was not necessarily ultimately where we wanted to end up, but did measurably reduce the suffering for hundreds of of millions of of animals that are in our food system. So that's that really opened up my eyes to what's going on more broadly in our food system and what are some of the biggest challenges that we need to tackle right now, not just from an animal welfare standpoint, but from an environmental, human health, social justice standpoint. And even though we were having a lot of great success with that work on the animal welfare reform, it also brought into focus for me how we couldn't just focus on reducing suffering. We had to focus on reducing the number of animals that are in our food system. I remember uh, a few years ago, we did some work. We were looking at how many animals are we benefiting? And it was incredible that over the, the time that the food business program at Compassion was operating in the U.S. and also globally, we were impacting 1 billion animals per year who were living better lives, which is absolutely incredible. You say, oh my gosh, we're having so much success. But then also looking at over that same time period, 10 billion new animals had entered the food system. So you had to take a step back and be honest and say, okay, yeah, there's some good work happening here and some good change, but we are not winning. We need to look at broader food system change. We need to look at reducing the number of animals in our food system. And also, what is the alternative that we need to be fostering? So that's what brought me over to to PBFA and looking at really what is the role that businesses can play in driving that, that food systems change. I appreciate that background. As someone who's been vegan myself for nearly 12 years now, this summer will be 12, uh, and definitely driven by both sustainability as well as the very obvious horrific conditions in which animals are raised uh, today across the world, especially in the U.S., but across the world. I always wondered how, um, because I've never been an activist myself in the sense that in a traditional sense, I've never actually campaigned. I've never worked at a nonprofit. I've always wondered how how people who were driven by the by same passions as I were was and am were able to do work related to um, engaging with uh, companies to improve their uh, existing practices to reduce suffering. Because that, to me, as 
interesting and impactful as it can be would be also soul crushing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was um, not where I necessarily thought I would I would be because um, I like you I have I, I stopped eating animals when I was I think. 13 years old, at least I cut out um, animal meat at that point for, for ethical reasons. So, you know, sitting in the, in the room with executives from some of the biggest meat companies in the world wasn't something that necessarily saw myself doing. But when I got into this space, was really looking at, okay, what's happening in the, you know, activist and advocacy world? And there were really prominent organizations in the US like PETA and others that did have more of that you know we're going to we're going to fight the industry and i thought okay what's what's missing what is going to be able to drive change forward faster and more effectively and i thought you know we really need to be sitting in at the table with these companies versus sitting on the sidelines. I saw there was a huge opportunity to work and get um, really collaboratively. And also my background is I, you know, I studied business and in school and had started off my career working for a big company. Um, I started off working at News Corporation in, in New York City. So kind of had that that background, at least like starting off in, in the bigger business world and thought this can be utilized. Being able to sit down and have a conversation and speak the same language can be utilized, I think, to create a lot of a lot of positive change. But also, Neil, something that I found to be really interesting is that when you do come from an, uh, an advocacy or activist background, you often expect that the people that you're sitting across from are going to be the enemy. And you're going to have nothing in common with these people. They are, you know, the reason why we have all of this suffering, you know, they're propping up this, this broken food system. And a lot of times if you sit down and talk with these people one-on-one, -on -one, like, oh, like I can actually get along with these people. I have something in common with these people. And I feel like when you strip down, like I'm coming from one world and you're coming from the other, and you just talk person to person, actually find out that a lot of people who work at these big companies, they do want to create positive change. They do want to leverage their positions for good. And that's where you can really find out, okay, who is that? Who's the person in the company that is going to go the extra mile to push through a policy change that's going to make their lives much, much harder? But they want to do it because they know that they're on the inside and they can, they can create that change. It does take... Uh... Uh, one having to uh, have a faith in human beings and their, uh, at least some of them, and their ability to <laughs> to do good and and, and to rise above our differences. I mean that that seems to be. We definitely need a lot more of that in in, in our the current world and mm -hmm. and social environment in which we're living in right now. But interesting lessons there. I'm sure you that that must have been a unique experience to. Um, be part of and and also now probably as you get into PBFA. So let's talk about that, uh, how, how it translates into the work you're doing now. So you joined PBFA at a really critical time for the food system, for the plant-based food industry in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. When you started about a year ago now, uh, what were your priorities? Yeah. Well, the first thing was really immersing myself in the community and talking with our our members um, and talking with our board members, talking with the 
the team, the great team that was in place at PBFA when I started with our advisors, but really with the goal of learning and understanding what those needs are and what the challenges are that our members are facing, and also hearing from them what are the opportunities that they that they see. Uh, but one thing that I, I heard over and over again from our members was, and this includes some of our bigger company members as well, that we can't do this alone. You know, whether it comes to capitalizing on the opportunities or working through those those hurdles, that there was a need for PBFA to be this really strong convening force within the plant-based foods industry. Um, so that was that was the first thing I did. I thought, okay, what can PBFA really? What can we do? Um, how can we leverage and capitalize on this on this position that we have, kind of at the center of the plant-based foods industry? Uh, but also, it was about really learning from um, the team on the the current work that was going on. You know, what are we doing that that is really benefiting the members in the industry? What have we tried that that hasn't worked? You know, talking to the team, where do you see opportunity? And there was no shortage of thoughts and ideas on where we could go and things we could do. So, one of the first things I did with all of this information is thought, okay, we need to pull this all together and we need to create a vision, a guiding vision that inspires us and the industry to move forward. So we did that. We put together a vision. We put, we refreshed the mission for PBFA. Um, we uh, created a, a three-year strategy with all of our top objectives, how we're going, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And really a, a bold a, a bold position and assumed that bold assumed a bold position and created kind of a, a bold statement of who we are and what we're trying what we're trying to do and also created that um, that concise version of our values um, and all the program pieces that that stem from that. And in this process, which I'm, I'm sure took months, um, mm-hmm. how, what did you sort of end up as the reason for PBFA to exist and, and to continue to lead this industry through the next few years, which are going to be uh, either uh, continued growth for the industry or according to some, and we'll get into some of this uh, later in the conversation, but Lately, there's been a lot of conversation of whether the plant-based industry is truly just a passing trend, um, mm-hmm. a niche market. Uh, a few products are going to do well, and then and then eventually it'll flatline and, and growth is going to be stalled. Given the environment we're in uh, and, and given all the conflicting information about um, what what the future may or may not hold for companies in this space, how did you position... So I guess, how would you answer the question, why does PBFA exist now in the year 2022? Mm-hmm. Yes. So PBFA is, well, first of all, PBFA was was set up uh, about six years ago now to create a strong foundation for the plant-based foods industry to succeed. And now in the year 2022 or in the year 2021, when we started working on the strategic plan, we asked ourselves that question. 
Are we still at that point? Or you know, what is the role of PBFA now and moving into the future? And it became very clear, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about the, the research, but there's been tremendous growth um, in plant-based foods in recent years. And it's also sustained growth as well um, that demonstrates that this, this industry is not a passing trend. It's one that is that is here to stay. So there's there had been a lot of success in creating that strong foundation. So now we thought, okay, we are here to to champion. We're here to strengthen. We're here to elevate our members and the plant-based foods industry. Uh, we're here to, to defend the industry and protect its interests, protect its interests to be able to label products in, in clear ways. But we're also here to set out proactive strategies as well to advance the industry and push us towards a more sustainable food and farming system. So I might mention here as as well, Nil, about the sister organization, because I think that ties in with what we need to do with, with PBFA and how PBFA is guided by now this, this bigger, broader vision. So I mentioned that, that PBFA is here to strengthen, to champion, to elevate our members and the plant-based foods industry. Um, but the organizations are also now guided by a broader vision. And that vision is a food system that respects the right, or is a system where um, business interests and values harmonize to create a world that respects the dignity and health of all living beings and and the planet. And PBFA, the trade association, plays a very distinct role in that. But we also thought, okay, there's room for another organization, a sister organization, to sit along PBFA um, to that will focus on what are what is the research that needs to be done? What are the gaps in the current research? Um, what are some of the new strategies that we can trial to move us towards this plant-based food system that will create opportunities for our members, um, but is really focused on that broader food system shift? And that's where we relaunched the sister organization to PBFA as the Plant-Based Foods Institute. And the, so the two organizations together are focused on, they have three main main goals. One is to foster a thriving plant-based foods industry that creates, meets, and uh, grows the market demand. The second is to facilitate a shift to plant-based diets. And this is an important piece, and the displacement of animal agriculture. And the third is to promote a transition in agricultural practices that are diversified, resilient, adaptive, and based on plants for direct human consumption. And those the, the points that you just outlined, are those shared by both the organizations? Um, just to clarify? Yes. yes. Okay. So yes. just so that I understood this clearly, it sounds like in PBFA as a trade association uh, previously and will and continue and going forward is focused on the interests of its member companies and the growth of the industry and protecting the interests of the industry and to, perhaps from a policy perspective leveling the playing field when it comes to plant-based versus um, animal-based meats and other products 
Um, but you've since expanded that vision and you're doing that through PBFI, which is now, from the, from what I heard you say, it sounds like it's a much more, uh, let me see the find the right word for this. It's not so much about just business. I think you use the word harmonizing business, business interests mm-hmm. and larger food system issues. And you mentioned living beings. So to me, this sounds like very new language for PBFA mm-hmm. that, that in the past was very much only focused as a role as a trade association. Not that that is, is slowing down by any means. That's obviously you're doubling down on that with PBFA. Yeah. But just to clarify, if I got this correctly, you've expanded that vision to actually have a focus on uh, maybe a more values-based focus that is going to shift the food system and explicitly displace animal agriculture. But that's another bold statement to make, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely, and and you're you're exactly correct on that. And uh, and just to give some tangible examples of some work that the institute PBFI will be doing, um, it includes that broader shift towards a plant-based food system, which may include initiatives like advocating for plant-based foods being more recognized within the American Dietary Guidelines, um, advocating for more plant-based foods in um, school lunch programs, as well as in hospitals, prisons, other institutions. So that will create some opportunities, of course, for our members at PBFA, um, but also is just part of that broader shift and is going to include a lot more whole plant foods as well. Um, But yes, we are at the position now where we are taking that bolder position. And I know that's, that's unusual for a trade association. And that is, you arriving at this position of, of saying we are guided by this, this bigger vision of food systems change and that we are working to displace animal agriculture is we didn't get there necessarily because of my background, which I just Mm -hmm. shared, which is in, which is in advocacy. I didn't, I didn't come into this role with a preformed idea of where we would net out with our position and with our vision. It really came from our community and from our members. And I think that's really important to, to emphasize that I, I found out so early on in my tenure in this role that the food industry is filled with so many passionate people who are truly interested, the plant-based foods industry, mm-hmm. and truly interested in leveraging the power of business to drive positive change. So yes, having a successful, profitable company is important. It's essential, of course, um, to grow and to stay in business. But there is something more than that that's present, that's palpable within this industry. And that sets plant-based foods apart. And that is what is behind us taking a very unusual position for a trade association and having a values-driven approach to to doing doing our work. Um, But it also makes me feel so optimistic Mm -hmm. for what the industry can achieve um, in terms of both growth and the positive change that, that it can drive. I mean, conceptually, it makes a lot of sense, obviously. I mean, the plant-based food industry would not exist if it wasn't for companies 
that first launched primarily driven by the same values that that uh, you were driven by when you got into this space, or perhaps I was driven by as I started to focus on the food industry myself, and to not acknowledge it or not to not sort of integrate that into your thinking, to me always is a seems seems a bit out of touch because you uh, the the reason for the for existence at least for a majority of of people and companies in the space is to. Uh, bring about a trans- positive transformation in the food system. And the motivations could be driven by health, by the environment, by animals, or all of the above, or just because it is the right thing to do as we um, as we continue to feel the impacts of climate change and the drain on our natural resources. I won't, I won't run through the reasons why plants are better, because we all probably know that by now. But if that's the reason why companies in the space and why this industry even was... It, why this industry even came into existence to not include that as part of the trade association representing the industry or it's part of its core values uh, seems to me as, as as missing the point as we build this going right. forward and and risking that we would lose the intention and the soul behind this entire movement, if you can call it that. Now, with that being said, now tactically to put that into practice is a whole different matter, right? So while we may we may think it's a good idea to put that in a value statement or in a, in, a, in a vision or a mission statement. The realities are business uh, as, a, as a tool for change is complicated and uh, not without its own shortcomings. And, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But let, let's start with how you're tactically implementing this in terms of, uh, say, let's start with your membership, because I'm sure you started there. The idea is to grow the membership and to deliver value to the members who are part of PBFA. How has your vision for membership changed with this new strategic plan and approach that you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it did start with membership um, with PBFA. That's everything revolves around the membership, of course. And one of the big things that we've been emphasizing and focusing on is really being able to provide value to all of our members across different categories, different types of companies, different size membership. One thing that also is is unique, I think, about PBFA is that we are not, we don't just focus our efforts on bringing in the biggest food companies that we can that we can find. Uh, we really focus on, of course, we we have a lot of big food companies, and um, big companies can drive tremendous change, scalable change in our food system. But we also really see that it's not just valuable, but essential for the kind of food systems change that we want to create to have a lot of diversity within our membership as well. So um, the kind of benefits that a big company uh, is going to resonate with a bigger company may include things like our, our sales data, really understanding the trends that are happening, diving down into category-specific data, um, uh, increasing the um, uh, relationships that they have with large buyers, you know, big supermarkets that they may not um, be in yet or have enough shelf space in yet. Um, but also looking at what is really valuable to those those smaller companies, to those midsize or to those startup companies, looking at who who is 
who runs these companies? Um, do we have diversity in terms of the the owners and the operators of these of these businesses? And there is it's really important for us to be actively uh, working on bringing in all of those small mid-sized companies harnessing that that passion that they have and all that they uniquely contribute to this space. So we've employed a lot of capacity building initiatives focused on that um, as part of our, our new strategic plan and our vision. So we have programs like a uh, small business development program where some of our more established company members and other speakers um, from, from out, outside the membership as well come and um, help provide education and resources to small companies that are at an earlier stage in their, uh, in their journey. Uh, we also ha- are launching a community investment program um, to bring in members that may not be able to um, not may not have the um, the funds available to be able to join PBFA yet um, to really be able to diversify that that membership so we have a lot of initiatives going to not just grow and build but also grow and build in a very intentional and more diversified way yeah, one of the challenges I'm sure has always been the case with with the members of PBFA is that it's such a wide spectrum. You have big food companies that are now launching plant based products. You have um, plant based startups that are no longer startups, and now some of them mm-hmm. are public. And then you have your early stage companies who are literally just you know at the formulation stage and haven't even uh, you know gotten into distribution yet. And to meet the needs of all of them is challenging because they all have very different needs. They all want to grow, of course, but they are different stages of growth. And of course, mm-hmm. as you climb up that ladder, um, so to speak, you you kind of have to get different kinds of support and, and, and help along the way. So that's that's definitely interesting. And I'm sure it probably takes up a bulk of the time of the organization in general. But you know, I do want to – I feel like one more thing I need to say about the values thing is – and I and I want to – I want to uh, acknowledge the fact that you've been very transparent about the values and your values are, as you've said, bold, because this has been a theme on on, my, on this podcast over the last year or so is that often when we're looking at solving problems in the food system, the most of the folks who are offering solutions aren't being very explicit about what values that they actually bring to the table, because the values that you bring to the the table when you look at the problems with the food system or if you uh, present any solutions uh, are going to influence what you think the answer is or what what's the right path forward right. and it being being explicit about the fact that the plant-based foods association and the plant-based food institute are focused on not only growing the interests of its members and the industry but with the explicit goal to displace animal agriculture which let's get to that now. That's that. That's a tricky, <laughs> uh, complicated subject. I've, I've had previous conversations about this, um, and maybe and 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 usually I've ended up here, which is maybe it's too early to know if you're making an impact. But what is what is evidence that that's happening or going to happen? Mm. Yes. So first, I'm going to. Um, one note with the part of our decision to to say that one of our main goals is to displace animal agriculture was 
getting at what you were saying is that it's a it's it's a bold position, but it's a very honest and transparent position, and one that that I felt, the board felt, the team felt. This is the time for us to step out and make that kind of statement because we don't have a lot of time to work on those solutions. And if we're trying to guess as to, you know, why is this group doing this or what's the ultimate end goal of that? And, you know, we have to really be careful and weave and, you know, change our approach depending on what stakeholder group we're, we're engaging with. It's like, we're wasting valuable time and we are in such an urgent situation right now that we need to see changes in the food system. And I know this is not going to be new news to you or any of your listeners, but it is impossible for us to meet the goals that are set forth in the, in the Paris Agreement unless we address issues in our food system, unless we reduce our reliance on animal agriculture. We just simply can't sustain life on this planet in the way we know it today if we are continuing to raise so many animals for meat, milk, and eggs. And plant-based foods is coming in as a solution as an alternative that is viable. It's on the market now. People want it. Demand is growing. But it's really important to acknowledge that we are not going to realize the positive impact of plant-based foods if plant-based foods is just additive. We need to see that displacement. So the industry and, and, and plant-based foods companies have been talking about this about the environmental benefit and the human health benefit and the social justice benefit of, of plant-based foods. But there was, I think there was a bit of a shyness around that displacement piece, but it doesn't, it doesn't make total sense. You can't lean in and talk about the benefits unless you're talking about what it's replacing. So really saw it as this is a time to own the, you know, we all firmly believe this. You know, this is something that from the, the team, the board really felt across the membership as well. So it's like, let's let's say it. It's not that there's going to be zero, you know, pushback and there won't be, you know, folks out there. I mean, there's very, very powerful industries that are that don't are, don't like that. You know, they're obviously there, you know, to protect and grow the the animal industry. But if we don't really say what it is that we're after and why we're after it, then how can we expect to make significant strides in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously with you on that completely. And I think you articulated that really, really well. And I don't mean to add a but to that statement, but we do need to address some of the numbers that lately people have mm -hmm. been pointing to as a sign that that this is happening too slowly. So let's just say, you know, yeah. like, we know plant-based milks have been growing really fast. I think they're about 16% of, of fluid milk sales at this point. Plant-based meat is a whole different matter. It's about 1.4% of um, total meat sales. And lately, and I know recently uh, the PB, uh, PBFA and, and SPINs released some new data about retail sales from 2021, mm -hmm. It appears that plant-based meats are about 1.4 billion. When you compare that to 
animal-based meat that's, you know, animal-based meat is like 84 billion plus um, and has been holding steady there. And there seems to be no signs that meat consumption is declining, uh, even though plant-based seems to be growing. So yeah, for, I, I like want to divide this into two parts. One is, mm-hmm. let's talk about what is the theory of, of change around uh, displacement using plant-based meats? Like, what are the time horizons we're talking about? And and what does success even look like? Is it 10% of plant-based, you know, plant-based meats get to 10%? Is that success or is that, are we, obviously we're trending in a better place. Um, so that's one aspect. And then, of course, let's break down some of the recent um, data as well in terms, and let's talk about plant-based meat specifically because that's that's probably the most hot, hotly debated uh, category at this point um, and see if you can make, if, if if you can make more sense of what is truly happening in the industry versus what may be reported in the press that is skewing the data slightly. So mm. anything you can do to unpack all of this would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's a huge so, question, but who else to, to better answer this question than you? Yeah. I'm trying to remember the various parts. You might have to remind me of part yeah. two and three, but I'll, I'll start with the um, the – Yes, plant-based meats, plant-based foods are still making up a very small subset of the total animal-based industry. Um, That is without a doubt true. However, there are some really good indicators that we're seeing some of that displacement starting to happen. And this is this is really new. Um, so it's not going to, the numbers are not going to blow people away yet. But what we really need to see and focus on at this point is animal-based continuing to, steady, I'm sorry, plant-based continuing to steadily rise and then start to see that chip into animal-based product sales. And there's a couple of things that I want to note on on this front. One is that as part of our data, we're measuring household penetration of animal-based products versus plant-based products. And household penetration, so basically how many households are buying animal-based foods over the course of a year um, versus animal-based foods. And we're actually seeing, and this is, I I don't want to extrapolate too much from this right now because we have a lot more digging into the data and monitoring in in subsequent years, but we are starting to see a slight decline in the number of households that are purchasing animal-based products in the U.S. And that is, that's quite significant. Over the past year, it was, it was half a percentage point reduction. Um, and for, but taking into account all of U.S. households, that's that's not completely insignificant. And we see that plant-based meat continues to go up. Um, so that went up half a percentage. So we have um, about 19% of households that are purchasing plant-based meats now um, every year. For the total plant-based foods category, that is 62%. So 62% of households are now purchasing plant-based meats. So this is something that's going to be really, really interesting for us to continue to to monitor, um, but is an early indicator that plant-based meats are not just additive. People are buying plant-based meats. Now 62% of households are buying plant-based foods, and people are buying them again and again. There's a really strong repeat 
rate of purchasing. It's in the high 70s. So it's not that people are trying them because it's a novel product and then they're like, oh, that was fun to try. I'll go back to my other products. They're going back and they're continuing to pur- purchase plant-based foods after the, after they um, initially try them. So that's really important. Also, we're getting into some, but there's so much we need to do in this area. Um, so we're getting into some really interesting research. Um, we just uh, announced that we're doing this, but we're doing a project with Kroger, which of course is the largest grocery chain um, in the US. And they are, we're going to be working with them to understand better that consumer journey from animal-based to plant-based. We're calling it our migration analysis. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to see folks migrate from one area to the other? And it's amazing because retailers like Kroger, they have so much intel. They have all this shopper data that we can we can start to really understand in both a, a quantitative and a qualitative qualitative way, are people starting to replace? And what does what does that look like? And when we have these learning, so like early indicators, like that household panel data, and the insights that we'll gather from understanding what it actually looks like when people are in the stores and how they make decisions um, and, and what that journey looks like, taking all of those learnings, and then we'll be able to employ strategies that specifically capitalize on those those learnings and work with all of our our partners like retailers and food service companies to say, okay, we see that your customers are going to plant-based foods. They're buying them again and again. They're increasingly being driven by their values, be it the environment, health, animal welfare. It's usually a combination Mm -hmm. of, of the three of those. And we need to make it easier for your customers to come in here and find those options. So let's talk about, you know, how you merchandise, how you sell plant-based foods, where you sell them in the store, how much shelf space you give them, you know, what kind of marketing and promotion activities you have surrounding it. Because for those those businesses, of course, they want to they want to drive sales. They mm-hmm. want they want to pull in as many customers as possible, specifically younger demographics as well that are looking for these foods. So if we can show them the data behind what is going to make them more appealing to these consumers and drive sales once they're in the stores, then that's where we can really create these um, these exciting strategies that are looking at building in and growing plant-based foods as part of a, a long-term strategy for businesses. That's, that really addresses the, the the first part of my question, which is more about displacement. It seems like that mm-hmm. that to, to really address the displacement issue, you, you have to bring about behavioral change, but in a very tactical way at the point of sale um, using various tactics. And as you pointed out, how can you create a migration strategy that can that can get consumers to choose the plant-based option when they perhaps walked into the store thinking about buying an animal-based option. Um, obviously, this gets a little more complicated because there's not there isn't price parity at this point, right, between products. So it isn't, you know, there are certain barriers why uh, plant-based is not truly a one-to-one replacement, and price is one of the bigger bigger ones. There there are probably other ones, but um, so I, I'm assuming in conjunction with 
figuring out from a tactical standpoint at the point of sale at at grocery stores, uh, especially in a retail environment, I suppose, but also trying to figure out from a policy standpoint what potentially can change. Is policy going to help bring price parity or is it companies scaling production and the cost of raw materials going down? Like, how are we going to accelerate that displacement equation? Price, the importance of price parity is so key in this. And to answer your question of whether this is the responsibility of the brands and scaling up production and ingredient prices going down and all the other costs um, mm-hmm. that go into the equation, or if it is something that we need to be focused on at a policy level, is both. Um, but it's really important that policy is central to this because we need to acknowledge that, and you mentioned this earlier, plant-based foods are not competing on an even playing field right now. Mm-hmm. There are so many government programs, incentives, subsidies, et cetera, that benefit the animal agriculture industry. I mean, the, the subsidies that go into you know, corn and soy alone that are the feed, one of the most expensive inputs um, in, in animal agriculture are, is, is tremendous. And that really props up the, um, the artificially low cost of animal agriculture. And those simply don't exist now for, for plant-based foods. So to put pressure solely on the brands to scale up, ramp up their production um, with the intent of being able to reach price parity with the animal-based counterparts that they're competing with is just simply not, it's not fair. And it also is going to drive companies out of business. So that's a really important area for PBFA to focus in. And this is, like I mentioned earlier, where a lot of companies say, okay, we know this needs to be done, but we can't do this alone. The policy Mm -hmm. arena is one of those central areas that member companies bring up to us because most of our member companies, they don't, they don't have lobbyists. They don't have people that are advocating in, in Washington and, and at the state level. So for PBFA to have a really robust policy program that is looking at what are the various policy levers at the federal level? You know, what's going on at the state level that we need to address or be, or be ahead of? And doing that on behalf of of our members and behalf of the broader industry is so, so important. So we have a lot of work going on um, in this area to to, look at what are the ways that the government can better support the growth of this industry. And there's a there's a good case to be made for that. One, because of the of the climate benefit of moving to more plant-based foods, but also it's it's really important that we, and this kind of ties into that systems-based approach that we're taking, mm-hmm. of looking at how more investment in plant-based foods benefits people like farmers, people in, uh, you know, how does it benefit rural economies, uh, people that have not been necessarily central to this conversation around food systems change, but have also been 
disproportionately affected by the current mm -hmm. system. So right now we have a program that we're um, running called our Domestic Sourcing Initiative, where we're working with farmers to grow crops that are in demand of the plant-based foods industry. So we're working with them to convert to those crops, and then we're marrying them up with our member companies that create that market outlet. And then we're also going to be taking the learnings from these pilots and utilizing them when we when we are doing our, our federal policy mm -hmm. engagement to demonstrate this is how it's impacting uh, rural farmers and rural economies and communities. Um, and then demonstrating that that combined with the growth of the industry makes a really compelling case as to why the government should ramp up support in this in this area. Yeah, I mean, really, if you think about displacement and everything you just laid out, it's um, it makes me really stop and and wonder how is it that we've gotten we've we've succeeded to at least come this far despite all the odds being stacked against us. We sometimes don't right. stop to recognize that, right? Because you really right. break it down. And it depends on who's asking the question and how you look at what's happening. But if you really think about it, firstly, we're creating meat out of plants and other end products using, um, using raw ingredients that, for the most part, not in all cases, but for the most part, are not big commodity crops today. And that are mostly not propped up by subsidies. And so you're already starting off from a point of disadvantage. And then, of course, you're also trying to change consumer behavior and perception of what food is. Um, and I think because the space has experienced some success or some companies in the industry have experienced a lot of success in the last few years, um, it's easy for people to point out what's not happening without acknowledging that it's pretty amazing that we're even doing this to begin with, right? And I sometimes forget that too, because we're in the midst of it. We're only looking at, you know, because there's no point looking back too much. You want to look ahead and see how much more work needs to be done. But I think it's also important to sometimes acknowledge that and, and help people understand that this isn't a fair fight to begin with, right? And what we're trying to do, the very fact that we're in the conversation, it means we're doing something right. Now, of course, that's not a sign that we won or that we are actually succeeding. It's a sign that there's hope, at least. And so at least on the dis displacement front, I do think I re recognize it's a very complicated question for anyone to answer. I ask myself the same question, and I have no clear answer on it. It, I guess time will tell, right, on displacement. And it takes, these, it takes a multitude of things to be done right, um, which also then justifies why the PBFA and PBFI needs to exist because this isn't going to be as simple as one company going global. That doesn't solve the problem. One company alone isn't going to displace animal agriculture. This takes a coalition almost of, of um, well-organized, well-funded uh, companies working together and the right government uh, policies being put in place to support this industry, not because... It is good for those who run these companies. Of course it will be, but because it is the right thing to do. And the only way we can potentially, um, as you said earlier, uh, ensure that we have uh, a planet that resembles what it is today or, or living conditions in which human beings are on the planet the way we live today. 
So that's I appreciate that 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 you you didn't give a simple answer to the question because there is no simple answer, is and no. I think it's more important for people to understand the complexity so that we can maybe come up with some sort of a solution. And I, to make matters worse, when I first asked the question in the beginning, it was in a very convoluted way, so I apologize for that. But I'll get to the third part now, which is if you look at a lot of the, the trade press around plant-based foods lately, a lot of the negative press that seems to be coming out seems to be hyper-focused on dollar growth when it comes to plant-based meat and other categories. And, you know, they've looked at what happened in 2020, which was rapid growth and and a, a spike. Yeah. And then they look at 2021 data, which appears on its surface, at least for plant-based meat, to have flatlined, as I've read in some some headlines. What how can you make sense? How can you help us make sense of all of that? And are we uh, is looking at at dollar numbers the right way? What are we missing in this analysis? And mm. what are they getting wrong? Yeah, there's 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 a lot that goes into it. We can look at dollars. We can look at volume, units. We can look at household mm-hmm. penetration. I mean, there's so many ways to to measure this. But I would caution or steer clear of taking one of those indicators over a one-year period and extrapolating too much from that. And that's exactly why we're looking at the sales data year over year in a variety of different ways. And that's, you know, and I to like flip this, you know, I mentioned the household p- panel data. I made sure to preface that with like, this is an early indicator. We can't extrapolate too much from that dip that we are seeing in the number of households that are purchasing animal-based meats. And same thing, same thing for this. Like you see that meat, meat sales look com- like they com- um, performed comparatively well. But also if you look at the price of, of meat, it went up tremendously in in the past year. So when you look at the units sold, you know, meat doesn't look like it was performing very well compared to um, plant-based because plant-based prices stayed more consistent um, over over the year, which is in part what's due to what those those flat sales in terms of of dollar amounts. Um, But what's really important, I think, is looking at because we have three years of good data um, that we need to look at what those what those three years are saying, and what it what it demonstrates is that in um, 2019 the plant based meat retail sales were um, 957 million, and you mentioned earlier we're now at 1.4 billion um, for plant based meats. That's, that's a really incredible increase. And over the past three years, it has meat, plant based meat sales have grown by 75%. So, you know, with any, with any industry, with any sector, it's really important to take in those, those multi-year trends versus take drawing any sweeping conclusions from one isolating, isolated year. So I'd say like with any industry, any sector, you're going to see years like this where it looks relatively flat. But if you look at the year-on-year trends, we know it, there's going to be sustained growth. That's so important what you just said there. But keep in mind a lot of um, 
it depends what press we're reading because if it is about it if it is about what analysts are saying about one or more companies they aren't looking at the holistic picture they're probably talking about it from a pure financial performance which is one i mean an important indicator but i don't think it necessarily says what's what's truly happening across the ecosystem right and also it's it's really important i think to note here as well that the when we were looking at the plant-based foods industry a few years ago was really about burgers. <laughs> That's like, that was, you know, of course we have legacy products that offer a variety of products acro across um, various categories. But when we really saw that tremendous growth, it was plant-based burgers that were driving it. And consumer interest in plant-based foods has become so much broader than that uh, in, in the last few years. So we are seeing tremendous growth in categories like like plant-based meatballs grew 12% last year. Um, you know, chicken, plant-based chicken um, had a really big year. Also, plant-based eggs has been experiencing incredible book growth over the past the past couple of years. That's something that you really had trouble finding um, at all in supermarkets. And and now we're seeing like, you know, over a hundred percent growth for the past couple of years in that area. Also plant-based seafood is another one that is that is booming. Um, so consumers are really interested in not just and this is and I'm talking about flexitarian consumers now, not necessarily those who are eating completely plant-based diets, but are now not just looking to replace a uh, you know their their beef burger with a plant-based burger when they're having a barbecue now. They're really looking for what kind of breakfast foods, plant-based breakfast foods can I can I integrate? What kind of baked goods and snacks are available out there? So really across all various meals and um, types of products. There's a lot of a lot of interest. So that's another reason why I wouldn't say like we should, you know, be looking at one year for one metric in one area of plant-based. Like you said, we really need to be taking a more holistic view of what's going on with with the industry. We don't really know what the future holds. All we can do is do our best to help create the future we want, right? So. Um, I do think that, yeah, one year is not enough time. And we've also, we're comparing it to the last couple of years, which were, we're still in the pandemic. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't normal times and nothing has been normal about mm -hmm. the past couple of years. So uh, I think, I think it's going to take a few, at least another decade for us to truly understand where all of this is, is actually headed. Um, but you know, I think in the long run we've got to we've got to stay focused, um, and the only way we can hope to both displace the uh, animal agriculture industry and ensure that in doing so, obviously the companies and the and the uh, products in the space continue to grow year over year is to have the focus that PBFA has. So, you know, two of the things that stood out for me when I first heard about your new strategic plan, one was, and we've talked about that, was the bold claim that you're going to displace animal agriculture, the sort of a hat tip to your values, which is important, um, and, and why it is that we, we do what we do here. Um, the second thing that stood out for me, which I, I was glad to see, but I also was 
surprised to see in some way was one of your core organizational values, which talks about adopting a collaborative systems-based social justice-centered approach to the food system or food system transformation. Can you tell us more about that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So that is another one of our, our bold bold positions or values that's guiding our work. And this was important for us as well, just to come out and say really clearly, because if we rely just on the market and say, okay, we're just going to make sure we want to get plant-based food products um, as uh, you know to reach price parity with their animal-based counterparts. We want to make sure that we have them available to to everyone and that they they taste good. You know, that's going to drive change, of course, but it doesn't necessarily ensure that we are realizing the the maximum potential of this food systems shift. And what we don't want to happen because we are thinking about massive changes and driving forward massive changes in the food system is making sure we're keeping at the forefront of our minds that we do not want to replace one exploitative system with another, albeit less exploitative system. But you know, if our sole focus is to take animals out of the system and we don't think about the other factors, it's like, yes, like we're reducing animal suffering. As someone who worked for an animal protection organization for many years, that's tremendous. Um, but it is also, there are so many other issues and challenges in our food system. And that needs to be acknowledged and that needs to be built in as well to the, we have to be honest about, about those challenges. You know, there's a tremendous amount of, of, you know, worker exploitation in our food system. There's a tremendous consolidation of wealth and power in our food system, resulting in gross, in gross disparity, economic disparity, and also disparity in terms of of, of health. Um, so these are things that we had a lot of honest conversations about, that it's not just the presence or absence of animals. There are a lot of other factors at play. And if we're working on kind of rebuilding, recreating what the food system should look like that will take us into the future. We need to think about it holistically. And it's not just, and I say this not just as a a burden or an onus of responsibility that we feel, it also is very much an opportunity because with that, with taking that systems-based approach and thinking about all the different participants in the food system that are affected by the food system, we bring in so many more perspectives into the conversation. And that is going to strengthen us and strengthen the work that we're doing. So it's not, it's not a burden. It is like, this is, this is what we should be doing. And this is what is going to help us create strength in our community that is going to allow us to make progress faster. I love that. Obviously, I share that opinion. It's not just about acknowledging, it's about if you truly want to transform the food system and build a better one, you you have to do 
the first task, which is acknowledge the range of issues that exist in the system, even if you may not hold them all as dearly as you hold some, right? So you might have your preferences. Some You might, we don't have to name preferences, but you might have, <laughs> you might prioritize some values over the others. But to not acknowledge the other values is... Um, it's truly not working on food system transformation. It's working on a specific goal, which is fine if that's what someone wants to do. So the I imagine some of this doesn't I, I imagine some companies in the space don't share this value. And maybe 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 I I, I can't say I know everyone in this space, but I do think that some might look at this and say why don't we just grow at all cost, right? Why don't just just find the cheapest uh, raw ingredients that are plant-based, turn them into meat, put whatever uh, chemicals and uh, synthetic materials that you can find into it that, so that they replicate meat. Let's grow, 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 and worry about all, this other pro- all these other problems later or let someone else fix those other problems because that's not our role. Our role is to get people to stop eating meat, eggs, and dairy and switch to the plant-based alternative. Let's make it as cheap as possible, as widely available as possible. Let's not worry about any other issues or any other externalities for now. Let's just replace the plants, sorry, the animals with plant-based stuff because that in itself would be a giant leap forward, right? So w- what is your response to that? Because it-, it sounds like you're saying we can grow fast yet do the right thing versus just grow at all costs just because we only care about displacing animals. Right, right. So I I do believe that the sentiment on this in terms of the company's view on this is shifting. And the pandemic, unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe as a silver lining of it, has highlighted the need for really resilient systems, not just growth at all costs. It's really exposed the fragility of, of the systems. And we've seen that with all of the supply network interruptions. We've seen that with, you know, we've all seen what it's like to, to, you know, import ingredients or anything really into, into the States or between, between countries at this point. And it's creating massive interruptions. And that's why initiatives like our domestic sourcing work, where we're looking at converting farmers to grow crops that are utilized by the U.S. plant-based foods industry is appealing to our members. It's appealing, I think, one, because a lot of our members do want to do the right thing, but also it's because it it shortens their their supply networks and it gives them greater visibility over what's what's happening. It's going to create less uh, less interruptions. So and it also is them, you know, contributing to more sustainable forms of agriculture as as well. So it's not necessarily, you know, what I'm gathering from companies is it's not necessarily just doing doing the right thing and prioritizing that over growth. It's that this is now a key to sustained growth. That's a whole different way of looking at it. And I, I think as, as uh, your position and PBFA and PBFI can set the tone for the industry, which I think is 
is crucial at this point. And of course, there might be some that might disagree or will will we'll do things their way. But if you can set the the right conditions, whether it's through your domestic sourcing initiative or other new initiative that you launch, um, that help to uh, foster an environment that can lead to a, a marginal improvements on all fronts, not just on displacement of, of animals in the food supply chain, but also in improvement of uh, of uh, um, farm workers' uh, conditions and just to improve the transparency of the supply chain. I think there's so much work to be done. If you truly, I, I guess this is one way I could reposition what you're doing. It is you're, you're trying to build a better food system that is plant forward. It, it plants are at the forefront, but the, the better part isn't being forgotten. And just by virtue of being plants doesn't make it better. You have to do the other work as well. Right, right. And we say we say plant-based, plant-based food system. We use that a lot for simplicity. But yes, you're right. What we are really after is a food system that respects the rights of animals to live free of exploitation, ensures fairness for farmers and workers, promotes good health and nutrition, is restorative, and it remains within ecological limits. That's more of a mouthful than saying <laughs> a plant-based food system, a food system that's, but that's way more on, articulate. <laughs> but that that is, but that's ultimately what we are trying to create. And your member companies share that vision, I'm assuming. Otherwise, you wouldn't have adopted this as part of your core strategic vision. Yeah, would not have adopted it without our members being right there with us. And of course, we have we have 350 members now as part of the, the PBFA. So I don't mean to say that every every company, every member shares exactly the same view. Of course, there are, are divergent views, which is great mm-hmm. because we take those all into account and that, that strengthens um, the position that we ultimately end up in. But uh, I will say that there was a, a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for the position. And I'm really, I'm really excited for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is like we were talking about earlier, that's something that really sets this industry apart and is allow, is going to allow us to harness that, that yes, like we have these great Mm -hmm. products, we're innovating in all these ways, we're meeting consumer demand. um, But we are also all fueled by something else that is so powerful. And you have those two pieces together. It's like our, we're all about business interests and then that passion and values coming together. And that's what that's what makes me so op- optimistic and I think is so unique to the plant-based foods industry. And I feel that's a story that needs to be told more. I mean, I don't think we hear enough about it. And I think... Um... I think uh, it, it's it's funny how it doesn't get much airtime on in the press in terms of the 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 uniqueness of this this industry to begin with and the fact that the people and the companies that are part of it uh, aren't just producing any other product they're all doing it more for the most part I can't speak for everyone for the most part driven by the same values that you've articulated as part of your organizational values, but also values that you probably shares, share as a person um, and, and most people in this space, including myself, share. I think that's what makes it special. And to lose that would be, to lose that wouldn't just be bad. I don't think we could succeed if we lost that. Right. 
and and I think that's the part that that people need to start to see and understand because you can be strategic, you can be business minded, you can be tactical and very smart about growth, and you can also do the right thing. Um, yes. And it's not going to be easy, uh, and it's not going to happen overnight, but but it's undoubtedly possible. And at least holding that as an intention leads you to at least try, which is better than not trying. Yes. Beautifully put. Fully agree. As we start to close out this conversation, I would love to to get into how you looking back at the past year uh, in this new role at PBFA, at this critical time in the industry, and, and just in terms of the planet in general. Um, and you probably have covered this in, in, in during the course of our conversation, but it would be great to hear you sum it up in some ways. But what inspires you now in, in 2022, about a year after you joined PBFA, to wake up and do the work that you're doing? It's definitely, it is definitely the most excited I've ever felt about the work that I'm doing. Being in this, in this role, working with these, with these companies, all of our various partners. And it's because I see real signs of progress. And I see that we're, we're working directly on that solution on the alternative. We are building it. We have clarity in our vision, in our thought. We have so many people that we are working with that share that with us. And there's just so many incredibly just impressive people who are who are coming together to do this work now that just being able to be surrounded by all of these people day in and day out and have everyone like really coming in with like full conviction every day, excited to do this work and, can, and excited to build upon the, the progress. I mean, that makes me so optimistic. I mean, it's not, we're not coming in and clocking in and clocking out and just checking things off the list and then, you know, having dinner with our families and do the whole thing over again. It's like, we are in this because we are trying to create a better world and we are seeing measurable steps heading in that direction. But for me, just to like dig a little bit deeper on that is um, it, it like a little bit more on the personal side is I've got two young kids that are four and, and eight. And, you know, it's, it's wild on one hand, uh, you know, running the, the PBFA and the plant-based foods Institute while also, you know, raising, raising two young kids. But my kids are such a big part of my of my motivation and i will do what i can to start setting us on a, a better course, a better path forward. We're, we're getting, and I don't want to get depressing here, especially because we're rounding out the interview now, um, but we're getting dangerously close to a point where we can't come back from when it comes to, you know, human health and environmental peril. I mean, there's some really scary, you know, statistics out there um, that we can't ignore. And we are the last generation that can do something about it. Like that is, mm -hmm. that is really sobering. And I am not about to sit back and just be like, oh, well, <laughs> this is happening. Really not much we can do about it now. And then just hand this world over to my kids, to our children's to the next generation. So 
that that's that fuels me. That really motivates me to to create change and try to get us on, you know, do my part um, to try to get us on a better path forward. So there's that there's that urgency there, um, which on one hand can feel a little bit overwhelming or a lot overwhelming um, and scary at times. But like I said, with all of these pieces that are fitting together now and moving in the right direction, I honestly have more optimism for the future now than I did a few years ago or even one year ago when I started the role. I'm so glad you brought up your kids and I'm so glad you 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 talked about what what's personally driving you to do this and I think it's important for for those listening whether they are deeply embedded in this space or curious about it or just um happen to come across this episode somehow uh it's important for them to to understand that that you can you can if you really if you read the news there's there's a million reasons to be to be um pessimistic and and depressed about what's happening in the world um but the 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 least we can do is to to draw upon what inspires us to to do the right thing and hope and pray that at least the time that we are we have here can be used to create something better and going back to kind of what we've been discussing before um you know we are so caught up in the weeds sometimes i'm sure you are too about what's happening in the industry and what's happening with the company, one company or the other, we sometimes fail to acknowledge that, again, we've come, we've come pretty far in a very short amount of time. Um, and it's primarily because of that sense of urgency. It's that sense that we need to do something now. And we are lucky to live in a time where so many other people share that same vision, that same hope, and that's, and then definitely the same values that we do. So I guess my... Last question to you today is, um, is I guess I can say this as if PBFA is successful or when PBFA and PBFI are successful, what will the food system look like in the year 2050? It'll look like what our vision statement says. So it is that world where business interests, values, are really combined, they converge to create a world where people, the planet, all animals are treated with dignity and and respect. So that's that was part of the reason why we did that that exercise in the plan is what are we looking for? What do we want to create? Whether it's you know 2030, 2050, you know, what what do we what's the change that we need to create in this world? And then you know, how do we get from where we are now to that, to that vision for the future? I mean, creating the, the vision and articulating that takes a, that was actually a tremendous amount of work to get that one sentence put together. But then the work on where, how do we get from point A, where we are right now, to that point, that's where it gets extremely complicated. So we've set out what we need to focus on over the next several years and we're going to be measuring our success in each of those areas. And then this ties into the values as well. One of our core values is being bold and being adaptive. And that's exactly what we will do as we will move towards that vision of a world where all living beings are treated with dignity and and respect. And we'll continue to measure the impact, adjust, pivot, 
Um, and that's one thing that I think is really exciting about um, not necessarily just PBFA, but about the industry overall, that the industry is so nimble and adaptive. So from the PBFA standpoint, but also working in conjunction with our with our membership community, I know we're going to be saying constantly as we move forward between now and 2050, or whenever it is that we ultimately realize that vision, here are the things that we need to do. And I know the community and the team and all those that we work with are going to be there and ready to pivot or expand and make that happen. So I would say that it's not an if, it's it's going to be a when because we have all those factors at play. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for all your insights. I am very excited about this future that you're helping to create. Thank you. And thank you for all that you do now. It was a pleasure being on. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Neil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, all you have to do is subscribe to this show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, go to eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Thank you for listening. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com